right, so welcome to Uncommons. It's a political podcast, but it is we're going to take a little bit of a different turn today and talk a little bit about sports. I'm your host, Nathaniel Erskine-Smith. I'm also the Member of Parliament for Beaches East York, and today I'm joined by Bruce Arthur, once upon a time a sports columnist and now a coronavirus <laughs> columnist, and uh, joined by James Myrtle as well, who is the Editor-in-Chief at The Athletic, a digital media company with a wide coverage of sports. It's incredible, actually, how many cities you guys are able to cover. Yeah, and we're over in the UK now, too. We have 60 staff full-time in the UK, so yeah, it's we're worldwide now so and hiring good people i remember i used to read drunk jays fan religiously uh when andrew stoden used to swear a lot more and so you seem to have picked up good staff along the way yeah well andrew's an example of we talked to as many jays fans as we could and they all said hire andrew so that was that was an easy one (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly exactly so i i guess the first question is a pretty obvious one in some ways, which is when did you take the COVID-19 pandemic seriously? And when I've spoken to my friends, they say, well, the NBA suspended a season and you guys cover sports. Was that the inflection point for you too as well? Not so much for me, actually. I had a friend uh, at the Associated Press who was sending me coronavirus stuff back in January and I would read it just wow. because I, I read all kinds of stuff. And I started to I started to think about it a little bit. I didn't think about it as, as deeply as probably I should have and could have. Um, certainly not as much as probably every politician in the world probably should have and could have, but I, I, I would, I was on the Leafs trip, uh, the first week of March and that whole trip and the the week before that, I'd been really going like, this is really starting to go. And guys on the trip were telling me like, you're crazy. I remember running into Ray Ferraro in an airport when we were coming back, I believe. And he's like, Oh, ask this guy about the coronavirus. (laughs) <laughs> and I told them everything I knew, but I, I really, I, I was telling people on that trip that like, if you were a professional athlete or if you're running a professional team, you should lock your players away right now because like the game after the Leafs game in San Jose was the first game they played under, uh, in countermanding the local health recommendations, right? Where Santa Clara County public health said, you guys probably shouldn't do this. And they said, no, we're, we're playing. And so yeah. I remember the Monday, like telling someone from in the Leafs organization, you got, your guys should be in boxes and yeah. same with the Raptors and same with everyone. And two days later, Rudy Gobert pops. Yeah. And what about you, James? Was it, was it the NBA or was it something else? No, I mean, I, w- I was in California with Bruce. I actually, I flew out there a couple of days before him because our head office is in San Francisco. I got there on the Sunday night and there was that cruise ship parked in the Harbor in San Francisco that you could see from our office downtown. And it was full of people who weren't allowed off the boat. And yeah. that that was, in addition to getting on the flight to San Francisco and how many people were wearing masks on that flight, that was, it was kind of a light bulb goes off in your head that there's something a bit different going on here than I, what I've seen before. And then, you know, Bruce and I were in San Jose together. We had dinner outside. It was a, uh-huh. it was a lovely, a lovely evening, but there was kind <laughs> of this, there was this, this, I don't know, undercurrent to that whole trip in California that uh-huh. should we be here? Should we be at this game? Should we be at this game? Should we be at the airport? Like I remember uh, flying from uh, San Francisco to LA and th- the airport was half empty and the flights were half empty and it just felt like the impact was happening there in California a couple of weeks before it was going to come here. Yeah, you right. can get a hotel at the airport in LA for $99 um, the night we left. And, uh, and that doesn't happen in Los Angeles ever. Right. And uh, you had written, Bruce, about other leagues canceling even before 
uh, or other organizations, I should say, canceling even before the NBA, including the uh, Women's World Hockey Championship. And so it, it, but when you look at the different sports organizations that did cancel well in advance of governments taking action, it did seem that the sports organizations, and probably a testament to the fact that, you know, so many people convene and to come together and watch sports, and so there's a, a special level of danger, but it, it did seem in some ways that these sports professionals reacted faster than, than the rest of us. Well, I really do think that when, when we look back at this, and I really hope we get to look back at this sooner rather than later, because this is, this is the most disruptive element of any of our lives, and probably for most of us, our parents' lives. Um, sports, is, sports was a huge acceleration point for taking this seriously. Um, and it is, I, I think when we look forward, it's going to be one of the last things to come back. And think about when Rudy Gobert tests positive, the night before, James and I, I believe, are both at the Leafs Lightning game, right? There's 20,000 people in the building. Think about when I say that now, 20,000 people in a building. You, it's, like, it's like when you watch, when I watch movies now, I'm going, oh, you guys need to get apart, right? Like it, social distancing is, has become this thing already that like you watch a commercial and you're like, no, no, six feet, six feet. Come on, everyone stand aside. And yeah, 20,000 people sounds like a lot. And that, and that night, when Rudy Gobert tests positive, there are NHL and NBA games going on, and they keep going on later into that <laughs> evening. And that one game, I believe, finishes after the NBA suspends its season, I think a Sacramento game. And if, if Rudy Gobert doesn't test positive that night, the next night, the NBA and the NHL are playing again, and it's 20,000 more people in arenas across the country, and teams sharing rinks and sharing arenas and sharing locker rooms and moving around and going to hotels... And all that, like, there is almost nothing as perfect as a vector to spread this disease as sports. And so when that happened, I mean, different sports kind of held out as long as they could. UFC, I believe, was one of the last ones. Premier League tried to play for a long time. But sports really pushed this thing forward because once that happened, that was kind of the first thing that happened that made everyone go, wait, this is, you can't ignore this anymore because it was the first was there a national thing. Was there a special level of leadership with, when I look at Adam Silver, I, I read some of his comments to say our athletes are role models, the public will follow the, the, our lead, and so we have a special responsibility and obligation. That all sounds right, and I'm, I'm glad he said that. It, it does strike me as a very different kind of leadership from some of the other sports organizations, and I, the sport that I've always, always followed most of my life has been baseball, and when I look at Manfred and the lack of leadership he's shown on a number of different files, including the failure to take serious action against the Astros, as an example. I mean, do you see Adam Silver's kind of stand apart, as, or was it just because his his players were affected? I would say this: uh, the trainer or the doctor, team doctor, I can't remember which, runs on the court at eight ten p.m. At nine thirty one p.m., the NBA cancels its season. That was a league. I was told later that Adam Silver had discussed this very possibility in meetings. And that he, like, they were ready for this. They were ready to suspend right. their season as soon as this happened. The NHL waits until 1 p.m. the next day to announce it, right? MLB pushes and waits. Um, the NBA knew right away what this was, and that's because they'd really thought about it. The NHL players, the NHL players and teams weren't ready for this. Like they, there was supposed to be a Leafs game the next day, and the players had no idea if they were playing or not. They had, they had no idea. That yeah. happened in the NBA, and it was. It was very unclear at that point. No, none of the leadership with the Leafs could tell them what was going on. 
until they found out the next afternoon what the NHL was going to do. And it, it felt like a lot of the leagues were going to try and push this as long as they could and play as long as they possibly could, even if that meant playing in, in empty arenas, which they were prepared to do. So. Well, that morning, that Thursday morning, so the NBA cancels the night before, there are players on the ice at morning skates. Yeah. And yeah, they get yeah. pulled off the ice. Like, think about that. So you can say that that night, yeah, maybe the NHL knew and they had to get all their ducks in a row. No, they let their players go to drive to the rink, get on the ice. And like in mid-morning, so 10, 30, 11, 12, that's when the NHL goes, okay, we got to pull them off. We got to stop this. Like, it, the thing is, when we look back at this, it's insane, right? Like everything from the, from the old world, from the time before the coronavirus, feels so strange and distant. Like you almost have to will yourself to remember some of the things we used to do, how we used to act. And one of them is that is sports. Imagine now the idea of putting 20,000 people together. You would get arrested. And that's what happened to that pastor in, uh, in Florida, right? Yeah. Like he, kept, he kept holding sermons until the cops came to get him. Uh, it's, and, and sports, and the NBA too, the NBA had thought about this. Think about this. The NBA had thought about this and still pushed until one of their players popped. Right. right. And uh, up until that moment, they were still grabbing every dollar that they could. And that's just professional sports. There were different levels of readiness and I think willingness to accept this. I still don't think from what I can tell, and I'm a little less connected to sports right now because my job's changed for two and a half weeks, but I don't think any sport has truly come to terms with what this is yet. I think there's still a bargaining phase that sports is going through trying to figure out how can we, how can we finish the season how can we start a season? How can we have playoffs? All that stuff feels like they're not all the way to acceptance. And so to that point, I mean, you've written uh, pretty soon sports won't feel like they matter because they won't. But I sometimes think sports are the distraction we need right now but can't have. That with everything going on, it's it, that I, I would love to be able to, uh, at a caucus call, today with the prime minister and the finance minister and we're talking government response to COVID-19. I'm speaking to business owners throughout the day who are deeply impacted, talking to constituents about PPE and, and testing. And I would love to be able to, at some point, turn that off and follow sports. And obviously we're not close to that happening, especially when we see John Tory say, we're not going to have any events in Toronto until the end of June at a minimum. And we'll see what if, the de if that deadline shifts. But James, do you have a are sports leagues in this proactive sort of internal conversation? What does it look like from here, and how do we salvage our season? Absolutely, they're they're talking right now about playing hockey games at the end of August, and the, and the reason they're doing that is they're not only trying to salvage a season; they're trying to salvage their revenue base. I mean, they're, they're in exactly. There's talk in the NHL that they're going to lose over a billion dollars if if they don't come back and play the playoffs. And they've got TV partners who are bleeding really badly right now that have that have the national and the local rights deals that paid a lot of money for those deals, and they've got no content. So, you know, I know we're going to talk about the media landscape, but it's all connected. If there's no hockey, then the media landscape is devastated, and you've got a lot of financial pressure for the leagues to come back. And I know there's been a lot of talk in soccer about, you know, Sky Sports wants wants their money back for the TV deal that they've got with the premier league. And it's 800 million pounds, I believe it is for this year. And I mean, it's and in the case of the NHL and I believe the NBA as well, they've paid most of that money out for this season to the players. So you've got the case mm -hmm. where you've the money, the money's gone out to the players, but it hasn't, 
like if they have to pay back Sportsnet and they have to pay back uh, NBC with the U.S. deal, I don't know where that money's going to come from because everyone's hurting right now, including a lot of the owners. And when we well, see different sports and the way that they react, partly it depends upon the, the difference between the revenue they depend on in terms of gate versus the revenue they depend on in terms of uh, an audience and, and the sponsors and, and the networks that are willing to pay to host them, right? So the NBA can potentially come back in an environment without an in-person audience in a way that the NHL can. Yeah, well, I think okay. so. Yeah. Although here, here's the thing with that. Let's think this through for a second. So the NBA and the NHL, the NBA's talked about this, right? They talked about the idea of let's do it in Las Vegas or something, where yeah, exactly. we bring in the teams and they just play in empty arenas. Uh, so so the, the NHL's talked about, let's put 24 teams in the playoffs, because you know what? If you're losing money, you might as well try to grab as much money back as you can. 24-team players. Sure. Okay, so... Leafs are in for sure. Imagine how you do this. What was the problem with Rudy Gobert? What was the problem with sports before this really hit? Is they lived in the world, right? Yeah. They went to restaurants. They went to hotels. They went th through airports. They got on planes. They, they lived and they, and if you're out, what are we all doing right now? Right. We're all, the whole idea is we have to stop society in its tracks as much as we can until this, until the coronavirus creeps by the window. How do you, well, the virus is still bouncing around while it's still out there. How do you make sure your players aren't going to catch it? You have to quarantine them. Right. And so how long do you have to quarantine it? If everyone's in one city and you're playing a playoffs in one arena how do you do that? How long yeah. does that take to do? Like how many, let's, you do it at the NCAA tournament. Let's say for the basketball, you play four games in a day. You play uh, a series in two weeks or four series in two weeks. Like, but you'd have to quarantine the players. They're not going to do that. And here's the other part of this. And this is where it gets dark. And that this is where it's going to get, it, this is going to get really hard for a lot of people. This is going to be a traumatic time if you follow sports, if you have someone that you lose to this. Uh, this is going to be really bad. Let's say this gets as bad as even the least worst case scenario in the United States. And let's, Canada, we can get to later, but in the United States, the other day, they said the numbers are between 100,000 dead and 240,000 dead if they do everything right. Yeah. They're not doing everything right. How do you play sports when hospitals are getting overrun all over the country? where 100,000 people have died, which is more than the Korean War and the Vietnam War put together. Like, this is going to be a national tragedy in the United States. And how do you come back with entertainment in that way? I just don't know. I, don't, I can't picture it. I can't game plan it in my mind in a way because I've never lived through that. But, like, 9-11 killed 3,000 people. It was deeply traumatic to the United States. This is going to kill 30 times as many people in the best-case scenario from what the numbers that they're giving us right now. So... For sports to come back, that's why I say I think sports is going to be one of the last things to come back. Not just because for sports as we knew them, you got to put 20,000 people in an arena. But let's say that we have a vaccine and sports comes back. You can do it then. But until you've got a vaccine, it is going to be difficult for sports to be as it was. And even to do it in this stripped down kind of, kind of junkyard, backyard version. I think that's more complicated than even we think. And I don't know, man. I just, I, I, I would love to see sports again. Watching game seven of the Raptors again the other night was super fun. Wasn't that a great game? Awesome series. I remember what it felt like to be there. But it's so far away right now. And I don't know when it's going to come back. 
so the Raptors might be reigning champs for a very, very long time. Well, do, do you have, uh, do you have, uh, are you more optimistic, James, in terms of the, the internal conversations, or you think it's, it's a crapshoot at this point, we can't know, and we'll revisit this conversation a few months from now? I mean, all I can, like, I'm talking to people in NHL circles, and they're, they're more optimistic than Bruce is, but that could just be wishful yeah. thinking. That, like, yeah, exactly. It, it doesn't sound like they're, they've really game planned for what if this doesn't come back and what if we do lose the billion dollars and what if our revenues next year are greatly impacted by this. And I don't know if they've gone to the doomsday scenario quite yet. I mean, there, there's still a lot of hope that they're going to play games in July and August. And, but I mean, to add to Bruce's point, you're talking about the hospitals being over, over, you know, unable to deal with the demand how do you bring sports back when that's going to place some sort of a demand on the medical system? Like what if, what if athletes are getting injured and need to use MRIs and mm-hmm, uh, yeah. are they really going to, are you, are you going to dedicate resources to some guy getting an MRI when, you know, people who are sick are dying and there's not room capacity in the emergency rooms for hospitals. And uh, are you going to, so, so many more important triaging decisions that have to happen. Yeah. Is, like professional sports is often, there's a lot of excess involved in terms of excess travel and you know, stay at the Ritz Carlton all over. And there's all of these things that go into it that, and I, you have to laugh. Like Bruce is saying, the NBA is talking about quarantining in Las Vegas. That seems like the worst possible place in the world to try and get a group of 20 something athletes to st- sit around and do nothing in, in a place like Las yeah. Vegas. So it's yeah. stay at home. There's nothing to do here. Well, it's not just, it, it's not just the athletes, right? It's the arena staff. It's it's even if there's no fans, there's a lot of people that are going to be interacting yep. with everybody, and it's it's going to be almost yeah. impossible. And then what do you do if you start? You put all this planning in, you get all the athletes in one place, and then one of them tests positive. Is the whole thing over? And that's the thing is that you cannot risk the one test that's positive, right? Like Rudy Gobert stops sports, so uh, uh, so much of this is going to ride on what happens in the United States, and I hope for the best case scenario. I hope for the best case scenario here and there and everywhere we can. But like, so Canada has been a step behind or a step or two behind in a few different ways because this virus is built to evade smart public health and it's built to sneak past doctors. And it's, it's, it's just, it's a perfectly constructed virus to, to beat like sober minded decision-making, but we're trying, right? Like we're getting more people inside we're, we've yeah. taken care of them economically as uh, I think a way that's going to be productive. Like there's still a lot of, there's still a long way to go on all this, but Canada's doing approximately things you'd want to do. The United States isn't Florida closed down today. Yeah. Like after spring break where people went back up and down the Eastern seaboard, right? There's still like, how easy is this thing to spread and how many different pockets haven't been locked down yet in the United States? There's just what happens there is going to determine so much of sports. And right now they're on track to have the worst outbreak in the world. So if the United States, if the entire United States was Washington state, right. With Jay Inslee actually did a lot of stuff really proactively. Then I would say I would be much more optimistic about the state of sports and the state of the United States, but it isn't. Yeah. I mean, it's it's in the political world. NAFTA was this small preview of how much our world depends upon their world. And now with this pandemic, it what a reminder that we can take all of the necessary actions that we that we must take and and i think are taking in large measure in some ways on the health side i hope to see more ppe i hope to see more testing i i i'm jealous every time i read about south korea and and what they've rolled out but then you look south of the border and our world sports being part of that doesn't come back unless they come back 
Mm-hmm. Right, and that's the thing is that this is, uh, in terms of how to think about this, a doctor told me early on, this is our world war. And I found it instructive, not because we're all going to be called to, to fight, not because it's, it's going to be an exact analogy of that, but we have never lived through an experience. And in my 45, in my 45 years, nothing that requires shared sacrifice from everyone, right? Nothing that requires a collective action from everyone. There has never been anything like this in my lifetime. Like my mom is in her early 70s. There's uh, nothing like this has happened in her lifetime, Right. Like all the things that happened in history through that time were small compared to this. And so when we think about how our normal world will come back, we don't have a frame of reference for what's going to happen between now and there, right? Between now and the next world. It's just, it's so much bigger than our imagination has been allowed to be to this point in our lives. And it's fascinating trying to wrap your mind around that um, and daunting and scary and awful and tragic. And it's, there's just so much that's going to happen between now and then. Think of how long the days feel now. Right. And we've got to go through this for a while. And James, you mentioned a related point, just the knock on the, you know, Bruce just mentioned there's so many consequences where we're, we're all touched by this in a way that we haven't experienced in our lives. But you mentioned before, just the knock on consequences of even something, something like sports leagues, Putting, putting a stop to their their show. So your your business at, at the athletic, I mean, you guys don't have you're a content machine without content right now. So what what is what does your life look like right now? Well, I mean, in some ways, I think we're fortunate because most of the people who sign up for the athletic sign up for a full year in advance. So we've got a lot of people that <clears throat> we've got a pat we've got a passionate group of subscribers that are committed to us. Most of them, I'd like nine oh, close to ninety percent. Are committed for a year so um we haven't seen a mass disappearance of our audience um the tough thing is i think a lot of people are thinking about things other than sports right now i think most people are thinking about things other than sports right now and of course maybe at some point they want to come back to a distraction but you know when we write an article that's referencing say the game seven from last year do people really want to be reminded about something that they miss so much not really i mean like some of the stuff that you know, we, we had a story last week about things we're not going to see because the Leafs season ended. Um, you know, we're not going to see Austin Matthews chase for 50 goals and potentially uh, push for the Rocket Richard. And most of the comments were like, oh, now I feel like crying. And like a lot of people don't want to, they don't want that content. You know, that that's what we have to say about, that's what we have to say about sports right now. But it's just, it makes people even more unhappy because it's just another reminder of how the new normal is so much different than what people are used to. And um, and, and the thing that, it, that I keep running into every day is what we do in sports media is so trivial, you know, that it's just mm-hmm. like it, like Bruce, I'm jealous of Bruce in a way because he can, he can, Bruce can parachute out of this and he, he's, he's into the line of fire. He's making an impact. I know, he took off his sports hat and he's like, now I'm focused <laughs> on the pandemic. And I know like he, he's been doing that for years on Twitter and everything. And he was ready to do that. But some of us are still stuck in this sports space and we have to stay there. And we're in this little box. It just doesn't matter right now. And that's like, uh, so you did help, it, you did help in, in at least one way where people are home. And I think looking for, so we've got kids, obviously they're 
we're looking for ways to entertain our kids, but also looking for ways to, uh, you know, spend time in, in, in different ways and distract ourselves. And you guys did put together a sort of a list of 100 sports movies, which I think is so, uh, modestly helpful in some ways. <laughs> Yeah, it's been it's been interesting taking a organization with 400 sports writers, including a lot of the best. No offense, Bruce, a lot of the best sports writers in the world, and unleashing them unleashing them on this problem where you don't have content, you don't have games, you don't know yeah, if this is going to like. It's it's a it's the weirdest situation any of us have ever been in, and then seeing what people come up with, and there's been some really interesting stuff. There's been some bad stuff, like there's been some, <laughs> you know. Like, you know, we, we've had some content and it's like, oh man, like, let's not, do, let, let's, let's not do that again. But like a lot of this stuff, it's like, holy cow, like, I can't believe so-and-so came up with this. And it's been interesting to see the kind of content that people are engaging with and are interested in, whether it's the top movies or, you know, we had one today ranking all the broadcasts, all the NHL broadcasts. And there's, there's definitely some things we can do. I just don't know what this looks like if we have to do it for six or seven months or longer than that. I mean, that that's when it, that's, that's what I was wondering that's well, when it's going to get it's going to get really difficult for us at that point for sure well and, and the, the thing about working for a newspaper is uh like i had the opportunity to write from a different perspective right and but i've thought for a long time like i love writing sports i've all i grew up wanting to do it i love doing it i try to do it to the best of my ability i really try to honor the people who've done it way better than me which is a lot of people like you try to i i've devoted a lot of my it's my professional life right um, I've written probably five non-sports stories before this happened, really, that were not, had nothing to do with sports. And I've thought for years that what I do is relatively trivial, right? Like, because it just, it's it's fun and it matters to people, but it doesn't matter. And that's an important distinction. So things that matter to people matter, but societally, what we're finding out one of the things that the pandemic does, I talked to Frank Snowden, who's a professor at Yale, who uh, wrote the book, uh, Epidemics and a History of Epidemics in Society. And he said, one thing pandemics do is they hold a mirror up to, to societies, to nations, and to people. And you find out how, what works and what doesn't, what's vulnerable and what isn't. Like, take a look at what's happening now in terms of the most vulnerable places in society and where the virus is attacking them. Like, you find out quickly who's vulnerable. Um, you find out the systems that work and the systems that don't, and the things that you need and the things that you don't. And one thing I do hope when we come back, I hope we a, a lot of the stuff, when the next world arrives, I hope a lot of the things that we hold dear, that we love, I hope they come back and we can enjoy them communally again. I honestly think the Raptors Championship Parade was the greatest moment I've experienced in this city that didn't involve the birth of my kids, right? Like, it was th an incredible communal feeling of joy. Nothing else does that. But you also have to understand that, like, now, if we come out of this with a better understanding of what matters in life, that's kind of my biggest hope. My biggest hope for this pandemic is that it shows us how government should operate and who it should take care of and who it doesn't, and how we need to take care of the people in our lives and how that matters, right? Like, things like that, how we need to, how, how it's important, the sense of community and shared sacrifice and shared purpose is something that's really important to a society. And sports can add to that. It really can. Um, it's not the most power, it's not the most, not the most important thing in creating that. And so when we come back to the other side, I just hope that we remember 
what happened before all this happened, and I hope we remember what what we learned while this was happening. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I feel a bit. It's funny. I've got two sports writers who are talking about how sports are trivial, and then you've got the politician who is uh, focused in a day to day, in some ways, on helping constituents grapple with the effects of the pandemic, and also pushing on the government to act more quickly in different ways. But I'll tell you, I I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't describe sports in the same way. So, I, I mean, the, the sense of joy that they bring, I don't think is, is trivial. So I, I think of, you know, I, you mentioned the Raptors winning, but for me it was in uh, 92 and 93 when the Jays were winning, when I was the most obsessed with baseball that, that I ever could have been. And I played in a charity softball tournament for the local hospital, and Jose Canseco played in it, and Kelly Groover played in it. And here I am as an adult. And I'm going up to Roberto Alomar and Devon White and Kelly Gruber. And I said to Kelly Gruber, man, like I dressed up as you for Halloween when I was a kid. <laughs> it's so crazy to meet you. And he's like, spits his dip into a 7-Up bottle and says, yeah, nice to meet you too. Like, I, I feel like <laughs> you're heroes. But I mean, uh, it's still like the sense of joy that brings is not trivial in any way. So I do, I do hope it comes back as quickly. I mean, I hope so many things come back, but I do hope it comes back more quickly. What, and so you mentioned, Bruce, that you uh, grew up reading and, and loving sports writing. Would, would either of you point to a sports writer or a number of sports writers and say, those were my guys and, and, and they, they made me want to do this? A whole gen like, I think that this is a pretty common answer throughout sports writing. Whole generations of Sports Illustrated, right? Like William Knack, Gary Smith. Um, I mean, I'm going to forget them now, but Lee Monfil, uh, S.L. Price, Michael Farber, like you can keep going and going for years and years. And there are so many, and I've forgotten like a hundred, like Rick Riley used to be great. Rick Riley, when he was young, was unbelievable. There were so many great writers for that magazine and they wrote in different ways and they wrote in, in ways that you just, it was like magic, right? Like you just didn't see that. And that's the stuff I still have sports illustrators that are 40 years old, right? Or not 40, like 35 years old. Um, I can still quote you like a lead that Rick Riley wrote about a Pittsburgh-Cleveland football playoff game. Happiness was being a TV remote, uh, a TV repairman in Cleveland, because how many people threw something through the television, right? When Cleveland blew the game, <laughs> uh, like it was That's just good. like it was just th that that stuff. When you're a kid, is magical, and sports when you're a kid is magical. Like I've got four kids, and like one of them doesn't care at all about sports, and one of them's kind of too young to really figure it out, and two of them like. They went out on the lawn today, and what they did is they threw a ball back and forth, right? Yeah. And there's something about that. Like, one of the things we're missing in all this, and especially if you have kids and you guys will know this, is at least, not even just sports, but activity, right? Like, yeah. just moving around, but sports is the most beautiful way to move around outside of maybe dancing, right? And so I miss being able to watch Roger Federer play tennis, and I miss watching uh, the Raptors play defense, and I miss, miss watching, like, the... The, the greatest hockey players in the world. And I miss all these things, right? Um, I, when I say they're trivial, I will, I will say this. Um, you're right that the joy that they create matters. I just hope the idea of perspective is one that I think sports loses way too often. And yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I that's, agree with that. that's the one that I hope that we carry with us is that sports is great, but you don't need to take it quite as seriously as maybe we take it that being said i still want people to care about it because that's going to probably be my job at the other end of this <laughs> get to the other end of it well, that was long as you you'll eventually leave the coronavirus beat and go back to and go back to sports that's that's, that's i don't know 
It sounds like we're losing Bruce. It sounds like we're going to lose you, Bruce. You got to stay I, with I, I, And James, are you, uh, would you point to anyone in particular that, that made you want to do this? Honestly, like, I didn't think I was going to be a sports writer until I was 23 years old. And I applied to Ryerson for grad school and decided that mm. that, that was what I was going to do. So, I mean, I grew up in a small Canadian city in Western Canada, in, in Kamloops, BC, and I would consume you know, the local newspaper writing about our local junior team. And I would read the hockey news and Eric Duhatchik. And, but I, I just, I always, I kind of grew up and went through school thinking that that was like a fantasy life that hockey would ever become part of my, my career or anything like that. So, you know, and sports illustrated was, had so little hockey in it that it didn't really appeal to me at all. So, you know, that was, that was kind of my path up through it, but it's, it's, Certainly now when you get into the business and you start looking at the history of all that and everything, I mean, it's, it's, it's such a, being a sports writer, it's such a special, I don't know, I don't know if clubs the right word. It's such a special profession. It's such a, so few people get to do it. And, you know, one of the things that this has made me realize is we're really fortunate to do what we do, Bruce. Mm -hmm. And we're fortunate to be going to all these places all over North America and all around the world and seeing these amazing games and talking to the athletes and, you know, Nate, you talk about how special sports is to you. I mean, this is like kind of taking that, what that means to you and turning it into, I don't know. It's like living out a, a dream, almost being, being that embedded in it. I had never would have where I grew up in, in my worldview. I, this, I didn't think this was thing, something that was possible. So you know, I'm I'm like everybody else. I hope it comes back because it's become such a big part of of my identity and who I am. So, yeah, I've actually I, said I, that. I think like, Bruce you, made a good point about perspective, yeah. though. I, I mean, just uh, I mean, Austin Matthews matters, but it would be nice to think that our nurses and our grocery store workers and people who are so essential in our society in a way that we knew but didn't really know are maybe valued. Obviously, it will never be equal, but valued in, in, in some more significant way, and, and we gain a greater perspective in that way, too. Well, and, uh, uh, one quick thing on Myrtle. I've often said, like, you have a better chance of being an NHL player in Canada than being a sports writer, probably, because what do we have, like, 350 NHL players? We don't have 350 <laughs> sports writers, man. Yeah. Like, it's hard, harder to make our business than it is to make that one if you're a Canadian. We're working on it, Bruce. We're, we're working on it. So, but the other thing yeah, is, well, and, and the yeah, the athletic. I mean, you guys have basically ripped the sports section out of the paper and, and put it online. No, and, no, no. But yeah, but, for for yeah. me, I mean, I, uh, I I so I I appreciated Bruce's writing throughout the Raptors run, and it was sort of my go to reading. But I I find myself reading for for my baseball news. I go to the Athletic rather than the Toronto Star now. So we're, trying just, to we're, right, we're trying to we're trying to we're trying. <laughs> We're trying to replace what's been lost in the industry. I mean, newspapers have been cutting sports for a long, long time. I mean, even I, I still got into the business in 2004, and it was very, very difficult to break in. Now it's almost impossible for the young people to break in. So, you know, we've been able to give a lot of really young people an opportunity, and hopefully that that continues. And hopefully the papers bounce back and find a way to to succeed on on digital. And, you know, because. While, while maybe what we do is a little bit frivolous and doesn't feel very important right now, I mean, I think there's certainly a value to it. Yeah, I mean, I think we, we all hope it comes back as quickly as possible. It will, one, uh, 
be a testament to the fact that we've defeated this thing, but it will also be, you know, it'll bring some of that joy back and I'll, uh, I'll be able to explain to my kid why T-ball matters. <laughs> well, and, and, and I think what you said there is true though. Like the true measure for me of sports coming back is it's going to mean that we beat this, right? It's going to mean you can put 20,000 people in a building together again, or in an NFL game, 75,000. It's going to mean you can hold an Olympics, right? Like the Olympics in a virus world is the perfect way to spread this thing to anywhere it already isn't already, right? If you want someone from Borneo, you might have someone from Borneo at the Olympics, right? Like you can, when, if we can bring that back, then the world will have returned to what it was to a degree before. Like I, I would hope that if people who didn't appreciate vaccines before, I hope that they figure out that maybe, you know what, Vaccine's pretty great, man. Let's just all get vaccinated. Because the person who is an anti-vaxxer when it comes to the coronavirus could cause some real problems for a lot of us when this yeah, thing no comes kidding. to the other side. No kidding. Well, it's, uh, I think a good place to, to leave it to say thanks for joining. I am a loyal subscriber of The Athletic, not only because you're a constituent of Beaches East York James, and, I, uh, um, and I, I do hope Bruce, that you return to sports, sports writing uh, when uh, when you've helped us all learn a little bit more about the seriousness of uh, this pandemic. And so, thank you to both of you for joining. And I, you know, I'll keep reading. As a former resident of East York, thanks for repping uh, the <laughs> neighborhood and and the district. And uh, thanks for having me on this, Nate. This was really fun. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Nate. Appreciate it. All right, take care, guys. Again, I'm your host, Nathaniel Erskine-Smith. A big thank you to everyone for joining. Remember to subscribe at uncommons.ca. And a special thanks to Hannah Kaplan for the artwork for this podcast and to Seamus Erskine for the music. Thanks for joining us.